Welcome to A24 on the Rocks. Tonight I am drinking a Johnny Smoking Gun whiskey from Two James Distillery because we're watching a Western tonight, Slow West. My name's Eric Kiska. Up next we have Cole the Ginger Ogre. <laughs> Hello, my name is Cole <laughs> William Whitlaw Gibson, fastest gun in the West. Uh, I am drinking High West Whiskey, the limited edition High Country style. Uh, up next we got my boy Blaze. Yo, what up? It's your boy, Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan. Uh, tonight, I'm going back to the classic PBR. It's fancy football night. Got this going on after this, so uh, PBR, get it. Next up, we got K-Dog. K-Dog, what up? What K-Dog? Oh, yeah, shit. what is that? It could be K-Dog. <laughs> Which one's the dog? That's uh, <laughs> Kelly. Like, I'm, I was clearly I'll Kelly. I'll be K-Dog. Uh, so, it's me, Kelly. <laughs> Kelly K-Dog Kiska. Yes. Uh, drinking also Johnny Smoking Gun. Next, the K uh, <laughs> Con. <laughs> uh, good evening, world. This is Kevin K Con Conincheck, and I missed the memo on drinking Western themed whiskeys tonight, apparently, because uh, I'm drinking Jefferson's Ocean aged at sea, which, you know, is a delicious bourbon, but nowhere near our theme for the night. Okay, so we're going to oh, continue well. this podcast without Moving Kevin. On. Kevin got booted off. <laughs> yeah, just apparently kidding. I've just been kicked off we the island. Never. This film today is Slow West. It is set in 1870 Colorado, but is shot in New Zealand and Scotland. Uh, this was partly produced by the New Zealand Film Commission, although our director and writer, John McLean, is Scottish. It premiered at Sundance Film Festival on January 24th, 2015, and ended up winning the Sundance Institute's World Cinema Jury Prize for Dramatic Winner. So uh, I did this for our a Most Violent Year episode, and I kind of wanted to have some fun and do this for this movie, too. What was United States like in 1870? So first off, uh, Colorado, Colorado didn't become a state until 1876, even though uh, California became a state in 1850. So Colorado was still very much the wild, wild west in 1870. Uh, former Civil War General Ulysses S. Grant was president, and the U.S. was in reconstruction from the Civil War which ended five years earlier. This year, on March 30th, the 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was passed, which gave the right to vote to black men, not women, sadly. This became law when the required number of states ratified it. Um, also, the U.S. Congress created the Department of Justice, um, and it was originally made to preserve civil rights, as the South was quite unruly at this time. And uh, Georgia became the last southern state to be readmitted into the, the Union on July 15th, 1870, after agreeing to seat black members in the state legislature. Uh, on July 24th, the first trans-U.S. rail service begins. Robert E. Lee died of pneumonia on September 28th, 1870, former Confederate general. I pissed on his grave yesterday. Uh, and then uh, National Weather Service issued its first weather forecast on November 1st, 1870, forecasting a windy day in Chicago. So, my first question is to Kevin. Who and where do you think you would be if you lived in the U.S. in 1870? Wow. All right. First, I want to say an excellent way to start this episode because, it, you know, historically 
saying it sets the scene for this entire movie. But where would I be personally? I think I would probably be uh, still in the Midwest. I bet you I'd be uh, close to Chicago, to be honest with you. That's where uh, my ancestors found themselves. So uh, I'd probably be working in a factory somewhere in Chicago. That's it. Um, <clears throat> now, are, are we going by, like, just me personally or, like, where my family actually is at this time? Where frame? would you want to be, just too? I, I think uh, going for uh, more, where well, would me- you want to be? Yeah. Oh, well, then I got to read. I was going to say, me question, personally, go I would be uh, 100% traveling out to the wild, wild west. Uh, and probably in a not, in a, probably like a scary short period of time, I would instantly become a bad person and just become an outlaw, a monger, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm glad I'm probably not in, you know, the wild west era because I would be, a, you know, an outlaw for sure. I'd be a bad <laughs> boy, robbing planes or robbing trains and things like that. Eric, my, my answer is lumberjack. lumberjack. Okay, that, that's what I would Hell be doing. Because yeah. yeah, I'd be yeah. up in the up that's, in the U. That's fair. Logging. Kelly, I would be barefoot and pregnant with my fifth child. I would be a master canner and homemaker. And at age twenty-eight, I would be pretty old, wouldn't I? There wouldn't be a lot going for me anymore. So I would just be prepping. I'd be sewing. I'd be the where, where master do you think homesteader. You'd live? Oh, um. Midway through the state, I can't picture myself being anything okay. other than like Boys? kind of midwestern at heart. So my, by the way, my outlaw name is Ginger Snap. Just Ginger Snap, F- fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Threatening. Surprised you didn't want to be a coal miner. Um, so mine's a little bit different. Uh, I really like the um, gossip part of Sweeney Todd. So I think I'd be like a barber shop or like a shaver guy because I think that'd be really yeah. cool. You get to pretend you're high influence. You get the mutton chops and the big hat, and you know downtown London, seventeen early eighteen hundreds. I think that'd be kind of fun. Um, I think I'm going to go halfway between where I'd really want to be and where I think I'd be. I think I'd still be a mailman, but I would be riding a horse, uh, and I would just be a mailman on a horse. But uh, at nighttime, I would be writing Only plays stress. for the, the local theater, and uh, I don't know. I think maybe I. I personally would like to live like on a lake somewhere. Maybe I'd, uh, I think I'd be in Vermont. I think I would love to live in Vermont back then at least. My, my whole thing, by the way, not to totally st- stop you is like, I wouldn't really have a choice to be you anything. You could be an outlaw. Other than that's the whole thing named. about outlaw so country. You could be, out, I, you could be an outlaw, be a outlaw woman. country. Join the ginger snaps. But yeah. You could be a Spice a Girl. Wimp, so, so, Eric, <laughs> Eric, you could be a founding member of the Pony Express because that happened ah, right around the exact yeah. same time as our 1860, film. Yeah. So. baby. Love that. Pony Express. We know how well that there did. We go. I think that's what it was. Yep, so you anyway, correct, getting into the history. movie, Slow West. History's awesome. Um, a young Scottish boy named Jay Cavandish, played by Cody Smith-McPhee, who was also in The Power of the Dog recently, uh, he trucks into the wild, wild western territory of Colorado, which is not a state yet. So it was uh, very much still outlaw country and anarchy, as our lead man Jay finds out soon. Jay meets Silas Seller, played by Michael Fassbender, when Jay almost gets shot as he wanders upon some westerners, some officers chasing a Native American through the woods. Uh, Silas saves Jay's life and offers to chaperone him to where he uh, says, I want you know $100 for this, 50 now, 50 later. And uh, Silas is very much a hardened man, an enigma, in the vein of an old John Wayne character. We soon learn Jay is tracking, uh, trying to track down an unrequited love that he knew from Scotland. And our journey begins. 
So, Blaze, give me your uh, opening vibes first, and also, how do you think they portrayed the Wild Wild West at this time? Uh, yeah, opening vibes, I was very into it in the beginning. Um, I like the establishing shots of, uh, no shot in, like, New Zealand or something like that. What they showed of what was supposed to be, you know, the Wild West between the, you know, giant evergreen trees versus the vast plains, I thought they did a really good job of conveying that. Uh, the first scene itself was, um, as far as vibes go, I, I'm confused because I didn't really understand what was going on. I thought that uh, Silas was a bad guy, and but uh, it turns out that he turned out, you know, yeah. it was like coming of age sort of thing. The scenery was gorgeous, and I thought it, it set up into what the bigger arcing uh, parts of the movie were going to be uh, looking back on. For sure. Kevin, opening vibes? So I really enjoyed the start of this film, and it kind of, uh, brought me into it right off of the bat. Um, the opening narration over the black screen was awesome because for me it set it up as more of a story vibe, like a legend we were about to listen to or watch instead of like an action film or something like that. Um, it really just made you feel like, okay, you're just listening to the narrator and you're setting a scene. And that final line, his name was Jay, her name was Rose. It was just so fairy tale to me, and I just loved that it kind of set up the rest of the movie. Like, okay, this is going to be a little bit different than your classic western or your classic, you know, murder flick or whatever it may be. So uh, that part I loved, and then obviously we go fade to the the star scene um, with with Jay counting out the stars of Orion and shooting them with his gun, and just that whole scene for me was was just fantastic. And then it continues on, and I know I'm going to ramble a little bit here, but only because I really enjoyed it so much. But then we have that simple music cuts in with that those wide shots of the scenery that Blaze mentioned, those big rolling hills. Uh, I think New Zealand is an interesting choice, but I also kind of like it because it you're not concentrating necessarily on the scenery, you're concentrating on the people. Uh, so that sets up a wonderful backdrop for that. Um, then we get that scene with the ash coming down after the, the burned-out Indian civilization, and that scene was just fantastic so we go from a really peaceful setting going through the woods and then all of a sudden this jaw-dropping you know death and horror scene i just really enjoyed the first five minutes of this film and it's set up for uh, the rest of it yeah um so kelly right off the bat we get voiceover and voiceover in film circles is uh sometimes frowned upon sometimes uh if it's really done well it's okay we get by you know what did you think of the choice to put voiceover in this film by writer and uh, director John McClane? I think voiceover for me rarely, rarely works. I just think that it's a little bit too spoon feeding the audience. I think it works well for Shrek. Mm. Um, and I think Fight Club has voiceover that works quite well. But uh, otherwise, I'm just never really into it. I find it really cheesy. Um, but also I found this entire movie to be really cheesy, so maybe it was the right pick, but I'm kind of with Blaze where I was just confused. Starting even with the voiceover, I was just like, oh, it's going to be one of these. That was my feeling. Cool voiceover. Uh, so, I mean, I could listen to Michael Fassbender all day long, so it did not bother me. Uh, <laughs> and, and like Kevin said, I liked the intro a lot. It definitely alluded to a lot of things. Um, I got big uh, Romeo Juliet vibes from the initial speech, and then they brought it in with the little star, star-crossed lover, and kind of, you know, really opened it up later in the end. Uh, but <clears throat> I thought the voiceovers were good. Like I said, I, I'll listen to them all day long. Uh, I, I am with Kelly, though. I don't 
most of the time I like to be seen versus told. I like to see the story unfold versus kind of being told what the story is. I'm going to get told I'd read a book, but with Michael Fassbender, there's like certain people that I'm like, I'll listen to whatever this guy says for sure. He's got he's got yeah. he's got one of those voices that I'm just like, whatever you say, Mike. Whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's great. So uh, I wanted to talk about the screenplay a bit here. There were so many good one-liners in here. Um, for example, right off the bat, you know, when Jay's telling the officer hunting the Native American that he is Jay Cavandis, son of Lady Cavandis, the uh, officer replies, we're all sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, then, you know, there's that uh, group of black men playing music in French, and they say, you know, that it's a song about love, and Jay replies in French, love is universal like death. Uh, Blaze, what did you think of the screenplay? Just right, you know, right off the bat in that first 20 minutes, there's so many good one-liners in there. Uh, yeah, as far as one-liners go, I really do think it was uh, really good. Uh, towards the end of the movie, the uh, Native American is sh- shooting an arrow at uh, Jay, and he puts his hand up to catch it, and Michael Fassbender goes, nice catch. And I literally, like, laughed out loud at that. The dialogue itself was a little clunky, I thought. Um, I thought it relied too heavily on the body language and facial images of the characters because there wasn't a lot said. And when it was said, it was meant to uh, progress the plot along more so than maybe I would have liked it to. I like to get to know the characters more than, um, especially in the beginning. The first half, everyone seemed very one-dimensional, especially Ro, Jay, and Silas. I wish they would expand it upon a bit. Once you get like past the halfway part of the movie, it does open up. And you get to see uh, Gregor McLean uh, from Grave of Thrones. <laughs> but yeah, I thought the dialogue was okay. Uh, like I said, there were some very funny parts, but it wasn't very westerny, if that uh, makes sense. Gotcha. Kevin, dialogue? Screenplay? Um, screenplay and dialogue. I enjoyed it for the most part. Uh, I did it, it like the, the addition of the comedy bits that we were talking about. Some of Michael Fassbender's dialogue with Jay kind of either dragged for me or kind of got lost maybe in some of the accents or just some of the parts. I don't think it was necessarily a fault of the screenplay, just maybe the moment in me watching it and interpreting it that way. Uh, but in general, I thought it was a, it was an excellent script. Like I alluded to in my uh, first vibes section, I really viewed this movie like I was kind of watching a storybook unfold. And for me, that changes how the dialogue is digested because now I'm kind of looking at it from someone's telling me a fairy tale or telling me a story and that changes how dialogue is had between characters and how the story goes. So if I'm viewing it from that perspective, I think that it's pretty, pretty good and it allows me to uh, get involved with the characters and move the story forward. Sure. There's a very good line in here. Uh, Jay, he, he says, while looking at the moon, you know, same stars, same moon. And he's talking about same stars, same moon back in Scotland. And he says, you know, one day we'll be wandering on that moon. They'll build a railroad up and down the ways, a railroad to the moon. And when we get there, first thing we'll do is hunt the natives down. And um, I do think that Native Americans played an important backdrop in this film, although they weren't the central focus. So, Cole, how do you think uh, they portrayed Native Americans in this film? Yeah, so uh, first thing, uh, I hated the way he was talking about the railroad to the moon. I really (laughs) like that scene. However... um, I thought the uh, Native Americans, they portrayed them in a, in a somewhat realistic-ish manner where they basically said that, you know, everyone was aware of the atrocities that were being committed and they weren't trying to, I guess, shy away from it. But it did kind of seem like it just seemed off from the film. 
I guess in terms of just like randomly, they're just like, yeah, we're killing all the natives. All right, let's move on and do a little funny hijink. And then we come back and it's like, yeah, we just killed all these Native Americans. I'm writing a book about it, actually. And then, you know, they something bad happens or another hijink. So it was kind of weird. Uh, it didn't necessarily add to the story, but it, it definitely needed to be there as a part of the history and stuff. But it just seemed like a, I don't know, a weird take on the whole situation, I guess. Kelly, what did you think? And uh, I'm not sure if you're the only one here, but uh, you do have a little Native American ancestry in you. I felt, so I felt throughout this whole movie that it was just like, well, Kevin's kind of saying it's like a story. uh, And I feel that way too. I feel like it's like a Scottish kid who actually never was in the West and he was just reading the book about it and imagining saving his girlfriend who doesn't even like him. So that was kind of my theory behind it. So with that, I have to put some like, you got to suspend disbelief, which I worked on consciously the entire time watching this movie, but it's so absurd, but in a subtle, like not really put my foot all the way through the door kind of way that when they put really realistic tragedies in front of you while all that is going on, it just, that is a really hard teeter to walk on and do in the right way. So it created this like, not even contrast not even like disrespect, but just like discomfort of the way that they were handling it. And I don't know how they could have done it right. It's not by removing it because it is good that they showcased it. But my thoughts were, I just, I didn't like it. Uh, Blaze, then cool. Yeah, I just want to say there was um, a line where he met the uh, German uh, German guy in the middle of the plains. And he actually mm-hmm. said something very apropos about what was going on. He was talking about how you know, we're going to romanticize the Native Americans and, you know, they're just going to become a footnote, but no one's really going to know who they are because we've taken everything away from them. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, I thought that was, you know, all things considered, I think that was uh, a pretty good way to put like what was going on in the world without showing everything that was going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Cole? Yeah, I just uh, forgot one of my notes related to that was uh, this feels like a Wes Anderson film uh, that tried to uh, deal with like very weird, like hard subjects, i.e. the like Native American stuff. So it's like, Wes Anderson, go make a film about, you know, the Trail of Tears. But also it's not about the Trail of Tears, it's about the Scottish boy. So it was very weird. But Kevin, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I echo all of those things. Like it danced around the subject without really hitting the nail on the head, which... Like Kelly said, you can't remove it from the story, but they also put it right in front of your face right off the bat, right? We get the wandering refugees, the burned out town, and of course these renegade engine killers, as the movie calls them, and it sets up all the entire plot. So I guess I agree and disagree with everything we said because it was necessary, but it also felt awkward. But I think that was also the intention of the director to kind of just say, hey, this was an important part of our history. Let's not forget about it and we'll use it as part of the story. Yeah. Hollywood has historically not treated Native Americans well or portrayed them well, especially in old Westerns. Like, uh, Stagecoach, I think, was a big, uh, like, a big showcase of how to not, you know, like, portray Native Americans correctly. That's a very old classic. All the way up to, you know, Marlon Brando was actually one of the first people to really say something about it in Hollywood when he decided not to accept his best actor award for the godfather and he put a uh, native american woman there in place to accept it and i think i even after that though hollywood still didn't really get the message um and so this movie isn't really hollywood and 
I do think they dance around it and they don't exactly address it. But, you know, the this director and writer decided to put this movie in this time and place. So, hey, he wanted to tell the story. Either way, <laughs> let's talk about Jay's uh, chaperone Silas, played by Michael Fassbender. Um, I feel John McClane definitely wanted, wanted him to be that classic macho male Western character. He was a bit of a brute. He's done some bad things. He's an outlaw, and he wants to be better. You know, he does have some moral compass down there, but we just have to find it. You know, what do you think of... Uh, Silas as a character here, and what do you think of Fassbender's portrayal of him? I'm going to give this to Kelly first. Silas was hard for me to understand a lot of the time. I felt like a lot of his lines were kind of muttered or under like the sound barrier for me. <laughs> but other than that, like he's just, as you mentioned, he's just a character you've seen many, many times. I think outside of the dream sequence and the way that the movie ends doesn't really stand out as anything special to me. And I love Michael Fassbender, just like Cole. Mm -hmm. So just glorious bastard, shout out. He was so good in that. But Cole, (laughs) I mean, I think Michael Fassbender did best he could, but the way that his you know character was written was to be a very uh, seemed like very one dimensional, just like outlaw that's you know trying to leave the outlaw lifestyle or whatever. But he's still using this kid to get. The bounty and stuff. Um, I don't know. I felt like it could have been played by anyone and would have given me the same feelings. I think they could have used Michael Fassbender a little bit better, a little bit differently, given more depth. Uh, and like like it, Kelly said, really the only time I, I genuinely like cared about that character was at the very end where I was just, you know, what happened. So. Yeah. Kevin? So as you kind of alluded to, Eric, he was very much a... a- a character based off of Western mythology. It got very big um, Rooster Cogburn from True Grit uh, vibes uh, throughout the entire film. Um, not only that, but like the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit, there's also a lot of similarities to this film and that film from kind of some of the approaches that the directors took. Uh, so that was definitely a, a harken back, whether it was intentional or not. I did enjoy Fassbender, his, someone had mentioned earlier his body language, right? That there was a lot of the language kind of conveyed that way more than some of the dialogue. And I thought that was important. I really enjoyed the scene where uh, he was teaching Jay to shave with the with the giant Bowie knife and that whole situation. Uh, I just enjoyed their interaction. They actually kind of had a um, an odd couple vibe to some of their interactions throughout. Their chemistry was, you know, these two don't really work, but they're developing a friendship. And clearly at the end, that shines through in, in you know, glorious fashion as we get to our climax. But I think that's starting out the confusion that you guys had mentioned about about whether he's a good guy, whether he's a bad guy, also kind of fits his character too because he had ulterior motives, right? He was hiding his true intentions with Jay from the beginning, and I think the viewer also kind of feels that, like, oh, you're a bad guy, I don't really know, um, but it flushes itself out. So I enjoyed his performance overall. Kevin, when you said Harkin, I really just wanted to go, Hark! <laughs> <laughs> Lighthouse reference. I appreciate that. That was okay. good. Uh, Blaze, uh, yeah, Silas. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that. Yeah. Um, As a character. Cliche, but it's okay because it's a Western movie. And I really just thought that he was like, I hate to like, because everyone calls Han Solo, you know, the cowboy of space. Well, this guy was kind of like the uh, <laughs> the smug, space smuggler of Westerns. But I really think it worked because I don't think because this was uh, Jay's story. This wasn't Silas's story. And although he had a great arc, and I'm not going to lie, I thought his arc was really cool at the end. 
uh, when he's, you know, when his chips are down, he's just trying to find a lighter for his uh, cigar that he's always smoking. And he ends up doing the right thing when his whole character, I thought, like, especially looking back, like, he was really good at riding the line. And you didn't know if he was going to choose the right thing, especially when he ties uh, Jay up to the tree. You're like, what is his issue? Because, you know, there's the sniper guy, there's the gang coming. So, like, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I did love his uh, redemption arc. And I thought, like Cole said, for, you know, what they gave him, I think Michael Fassbender did a really good job with character given. But again, he's supposed to be, you know, outlawed, trying to turn his life around, uh, meets kid from the other side of his tracks, change. So, and that's fine. It's a lesser. We can do that. So I thought it was cliche, but in the best ways possible. So uh, let's talk about the female character, Rose Ross, played by Karen Pistorius. Uh, through a series of flashbacks, we figure out Jay loved Rose back in Scotland, but she did not love him back. And we also know that Rose and her father, who is uh, Rory McCann, who played the Hound in uh, Game of Thrones, uh, they have a bounty on their heads because Silas, uh, he has a wanted poster for them. He And so we know from the, uh, pretty close to the start that Silas is like has an idea that uh, Jay is seeking out somebody he might, or somebody else has a bounty on, you know? So, uh, what did you think of her character, Kelly? Was she an intriguing enough female character for this Western? And did they give her enough depth? I don't think that she's very intriguing. She's just very much like a damsel in distress type for me. We never really got to know much about her. Maybe she had a boyfriend at the end. But otherwise, she's just a girl in a castle, in quotes, waiting for her prince to come save her or something. She's got They're in this like cabin in the middle of nowhere with her dad, like just waiting for the other shoe to drop, basically. And that's her whole story, and that's all we really ever get to know about her. Do you think um, they really portrayed her as a damsel in distress, though? Because I really think towards, I mean, before we get into the end, I, she was very, she was the one shooting all the guns at the end. It, in those flashbacks, we really do figure out, like, hey, you know, Rose didn't really love you, uh, Jay. She she doesn't need you. She, she moved out west, and I... I mean, yeah. I think damsel she's just, a damsel in distress in the mind of Jay. In, her, in his is. mind, I which that, eventually I think we'll get to that. It, I think it gets turned on his head, I, I think. But uh, Kevin, you were saying? So <laughs> I have a lot to say on this whole subject because it's interesting to me how they used the flashback as the major vehicle for making her character. Obviously, we get it flushed out yeah. kind of towards the end. But unless you're reading between the lines or re-watching the scenes, while you're watching it live, you don't really catch a lot of her character. But going back and kind of analyzing it for, let's say, a movie podcast, you kind of do get a little bit more of the, she's the older girl and he's the younger boy crushing after her. And I mean, early on, she calls him a silly boy or something like that in one of the flashbacks. And that, in general, um, you know, just kind of sets the tone for the rest of her We'll talk about it in the end. I did enjoy her performance in the final scene. I think there were important parts there, which we'll talk about. I didn't take really anything else home from her performance in general, though. And, yeah, I mean, in those flashbacks, we do, like, figure out that Jay professes love for her, and she was just like, no, I, you know, I'm not into you like that, basically, so... Um, we, yeah, you're a little brother to yeah. me. He's so friend-zoned. Yeah. <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> which I'm gonna actually have a question for that later. Either way... Uh, we eventually figure out the whole reason Jay traveled all the way across the globe was due to some off chance Rose would see him again and love him, you know? 
And Jay was much wealthier than Rose back in Scotland. And one day when Jay's father figures out he is uh, hiding at Rose's house, he comes over and disapproves of it. And uh, then Rose's father accidentally pushes him and he falls onto a rock and dies. What did you think of the backstory for these characters? And do you think Jay was brave and noble for making this journey? Or do you think he was kind of pathetic? I'm going to give this one to Cole. (laughs) Jay is a sad like pathetic kid is pretty much like and and he portrays it very well i mean he's a kid that doesn't know what he's actually doing and uh it's it's you know really comes to light when he's thrown out into the wild west he's doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing he has no business being there he has no business chasing down rose he's you know white knight syndrome to the max and he got like the more i learned about why he's there and what he's doing and and the flashbacks some more i'm just like this kid kind of sucks like he needs to he needs to go back home (laughs) but that's just what i got from him yeah i mean i would say he's kind of a romantic you know uh blaze do you agree do you do you think he's brave and noble pathetic romantic where where do you think think he falls falls somewhere in that gray area because i really did like his character for the most part like i really thought that you know, like you said, he lived in that old world romantic world where he's like, if I cross, if I cross the West, she'll have to love me. And although, like, you look at it in 2022, that's very creepy and off-putting. And I guess it is kind of creepy and off-putting, um, even back in 1870, I guess. <laughs> but I do think that his intentions were purer than you know some incel on the internet. I do think that he truly loved her. And maybe she didn't feel the same way, but he had to see out to the end because it's not driving to California to see your favorite OnlyFans model for her to shut the door in her face. This is this is crossing. She's already said no, though. <laughs> yes. This is, this is, already said no. This is crossing the West. Yeah, but he wanted to prove, you know, this is crossing the West to show that he would go through hell and high water for her. And you can take it as being a sin. You can take it as, you know, that. But I do think. And he, she's supposed to just is, love him because he did it. I do think that you had your chance to talk. There is some nobility <laughs> to doing that. So, you know, was it the best thing? No, obviously he gets his uh, comeuppance for it. But I don't think it was completely, like, creepy. So. I'm going to drive my ass down to you, Blaze. You better give me a blowjob when I get there. That's all I'm oh. saying. <laughs> Only if you press your love first. Yeah. What? <laughs> all right. <laughs> A little right. behind the scenes uh, knowledge there for everyone. Absolutely. Anyway, Kevin, um, <laughs> wow, where to where to even go? With it? I think I think everyone. he was uh, a hopeless romantic in the biggest sense of the word. When Cole mentioned the Romeo and Juliet thing, that obviously sets that whole thing up. He's rich, she's poor, um, but that's kind of an interesting backdrop too. So if he's already doing something that he's not supposed to be doing and being in an uncomfortable place and doing those things with interacting with, we'll say peasants, maybe that's kind of partly for this too so he put himself in an uncomfortable situation in a place he probably didn't belong and now he's doing it again um so that was interesting and then of course we get at the end there right when michael fassbender's character says he loved you with all his heart and rose simply just replies that his heart was in the wrong place figuratively and literally right he shouldn't have been there he should have been back home with his family and he never should have fallen in love with someone who didn't love him back. But that's kind of the absurdity of this whole thing. And if you look at it kind of from the lens, and I know I've mentioned this several times now, but as a story, it is romantic and sweet, and it gives something the, the viewer to kind of hold on to, as most stories do. 
So, uh, up next, you know, in a great scene around a bonfire accompanied by some absinthe, we meet Payne, paid by, uh, played by Ben Mendelsohn, who, he, he's such a great actor. I, I love him. He's, uh, he was in Animal Kingdom. He was part of, I think it was Rogue One, and he was in Dark Knight Rises. He, he's been in a lot of great films. He is with a gang of bounty hunters who are also hunting for Rose, and we don't get many words from Payne in this film. Uh, he is supposed to be this big bad villain. Do you think Ben Mendelsohn achieves this great villain status with what little words he had? I'm gonna give this one to Cole. Um, I mean, his jacket definitely, you know, said a lot. <laughs> yeah, that thing was fire. Uh, I think, uh, and you know, the way he acted and the way he just strolled up to them with, you know, a bottle of absinthe and two glasses, you know, some shot glasses, it was like. You know, fuck it. We're gonna we're gonna have a good time. I'm gonna get these boys fucked up, and then uh, we'll you know we'll get the information we need from him. Did he fulfill my hopes of being the true outlaw leader? No, not really. Um, he looked the part, and you know, I I like that actor a lot. But besides that one scene with the absinthe, he doesn't do anything. He just he just like kind of oh yeah, there he is. And then at the very end, where you have the big um, you know, crescendo with the the firefight and everyone, all the all of them, all the bounty hunters clashing and Rose and everything. He's just like, fucking kill the house. <laughs> it's just like yeah. okay. <laughs> and then uh, that uh, that scene, we can talk about that scene later. But it's just like you know, he could have done something better, something cool, something that showed he was a you know a badass outlaw leader. But nah, he just got drunk one. There he got those guys drunk and told everybody to kill a house so i also found something in my history book in 1870 in colorado the drive-by was invented uh and it was you know specifically this uh scene anyway (laughs) (laughs) i really um i enjoy ben mendelson as an actor so that made falling in love with his character really easy uh cole mentioned the coat and the vibe of being the leader uh but for me i think it had that quiet charisma of somebody who just leads a group based on them being totally just freaking scared of the guy and him being just ruthless. He, he has that line right before he's, you know, attempt to kill Rose at the end where it's not going to hurt. And it was just so creepy the way he said it. It was like he was caring about her before doing something just vicious and heinous. Other than that, there really wasn't too much to take home. I agree with Cole. There wasn't enough scene to digest in general with his character. Although the absinthe scene was pretty excellent and gave us a good look into the history of Silas and him uh, as far as their past together and Silas running with that crew and why he escaped them and all of that stuff. Um, Absinthe, (laughs) I was kind of looking for a um, a digital fairy to show up, to be honest with you, a la Eurotrip, but that didn't happen. Uh, Oh, well. Ben Mendelsohn's character, Payne, do you get any Jack Sparrow vibes from him? Like, uh, I feel like the whole way he walked and carried himself, I got a lot of Jack Sparrow vibes. Yeah, I think um, that his mannerisms were very um, Jack Sparrow-esque, uh, Johnny Depp-esque, I guess you could say. Cole and Kevin alluded to, he wasn't on screen enough, but that absence scene and the uh, the scene directly after where they're at the campfire, it made me wish the movie had more of him and his posse in it because that uh, 
old guy's story about the wanted poster really uh the ballad of buster scruggs if you guys have ever heard of that movie that gave <laughs> yes. me such yeah. strong vibes of that i'm like oh my god that is such a perfect like little creepy story about just creepy people that you know want to be bigger than life so i did like his character and i like the whole posse thing but when you only get 10 minutes of screen time and five of it is just shooting in slow motion there's not enough development, but there was definitely something there with that whole uh, villainous side. So, Kelly, my fellow lover of theater, uh, the oh, Blaze, or sorry, Cole. Yeah, oh, you had something to say. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to say uh, to reiterate that this movie is basically an hour long. It's like an hour and like fifteen minutes. Uh, hour twenty four tech uh, well, runtime. Yeah, but you officially. cut off officially. cut off the front and the back. You, you know, you got an hour and fifteen minutes, so it could have had plenty of time to to really flesh him out. Plus, they show him. I just I just looked it up. They show him the first time is at fourteen minutes into the movie. You don't see him till forty five minutes after that. You got like a thirty minute period where they're like, these guys are bad. Don't worry about them for the next thirty minutes. Over <laughs> half of the movie, and then they'll come back for a quick little. It, yeah, whatever. It pissed me off. Go ahead. I gotcha. Move forward. All right. So, Kelly, my fellow lover of theater, what did you think of the costume design in this? Because this is where I give an A-plus to uh, the people that worked on the film. The costume design in this, I loved it, especially Payne, uh, played by Ben Mendelsohn. I, I loved how he was dressed, and I feel they put you in the time frame for the costume design. Do you, do you agree, Kelly? I made no mental notes on costume cool. design. Because I just think that Westerns, like, it's already drawn for you how to make people dress. And outside of that one coat, nothing stood out to me as like, whoa, look at this. I mean, there's a whole scene where Jay is trying on a new coat and there's a bullet in it. Or there's a bullet wound in it. What Somebody died in that coat. Whoa. Other than that, though, it was just like, here's cowboy clothes and here they are in a clothing line. Okay. I didn't really think anything of the costuming. Kevin? Sorry. What about you? Um, I just got to echo Kelly on that one. I definitely didn't take any real notes on it. It wasn't bad. And Westerns are paint by number uh, formatting when it comes to that stuff. But they did oh. a great job. I know. also... Yeah. Oh, wait. No, I Alone, agree. Uh, I think I the uh, fake pastor guy was also dressed really cool. Speaking of... Yeah. I don't know. Can we not say... Can we not say that's not the coolest the gun case of all time? Leather gloves. Like, I, I've never seen a sniper. I've never seen yeah. a sniper in the West, but that was cool. And when he he just pick it out, oh man, that was dope. Oh, so uh, quick uh, firearm thing. Uh, that gun is awesome. But uh, most of the most of the revolvers. What kind of gun is it? it okay. I, I don't remember. I don't. I have to look it up. It's like. Uh, Thank you. It's a single <laughs> shot something or other, but whatever. Anywho, uh, the the Peacemaker, which is the gun that won the West or whatever, or, you know, not the gun that won the West, but the Peacemaker revolver is, like, well-known. It didn't come out till after this movie was set, so I don't know what to deal with that, but they have it in this film all over the place. Well, I play Fortnite, and that is a old classic Western DMR. Uh, that's what the pastor had. Did they have snipers back then? When was the first sniper? Yeah, I mean, I mean any, what defines a rifle, like a sniper, any rifle could be a sniper. Right? That was a rifle with a just a okay. sight on it. You know, huge it iron like, sights, okay. yeah. yeah. That you could adjust. Wait, it kind of homemade. Yeah, yeah, what was the scope that you adjust for, like, the like the sniper scope? Like the optical scope? That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, probably it's like scopes. Like I mean, Doc <laughs> Brown did like, an like, Yeah, Doc Brown had one in Back to the Future. So 
<laughs> but Blaze Blaze is right though. Uh, Sniper Priest gets best dressed award for sure. Binoculars were invented in 1823 by Johann Friedrich Wotlander. And uh, so I, I think it probably, scopes at least, might have been carried over to the United States Eight, by this 1835 point. to 1840 is when the very first well, telescopic rifle sight was invented. All right, all right. Well, there we go. Little fun facts for you. Anyway, let's uh, skip right ahead to the final scene now, because um, I got a few questions about this final scene, because there's a whole lot that happens in here. So... We figure out Rose is at this picturesque wooden cottage in the middle of a Colorado field. Jay and Silas just kind of perfectly happen upon this cottage by accident. But either way, Silas ties Jay to a tree and decides to head in where the Rose is, uh, where Rose is with her father, John Ross. And uh, a young Native American man is also there who is just credited as young Native boy. Um, and, you know, before this, we had the pastor uh, at... Uh, her front door, and this is, you know, why we were just talking about this, the scope and everything. Either way, what did you think of this final shootout scene, and specifically, what do you think of how it was executed? Blaze? Badass. Best part of the movie. I loved it. Dude, Rose is such, like, for someone that we didn't really get to know, she fucking kicks ass. I love those uh, those single-shot rifles where you go like, shh, shh. You know, and like when you do it in slow motion, it's really cool. The lever action? Yeah, yeah. That's not single. And then, single. you know, the uh, brilliant idea, because they were totally outmanned and outgunned. Um, young native boy, um, he shoots the flaming arrow into like the uh, sunflowers. And then as they're coming out of the smoke in slow motion, I thought it was like, as far as an action scene goes, where like, I mean... It doesn't feel like a lot's at stake, but it makes you feel like a lot's at stake. I thought it was awesome. There was the uh, guy who got shot at the door, and they're, like, trying to close the door, but his fat ass won't, like, let them uh, close it all the way. And then at the end... I love that. And then at the end, and yeah. you just see his ass cheeks. I'm like, am I supposed to laugh at this? <laughs> you um, are, for sure. So, yeah, I thought yeah. it was excellent. It was excellent. I, the, my only notes are... Uh, Michael Fassbender's character, Silas, gets shot way too early, and he kind of just sits on the sidelines uh, for way too long for a guy who, like, tied a kid to a tree and said, I'm going to go out and be a badass. He didn't really do anything. <laughs> he got shot and was looking for a lighter. But everyone else played their roles perfectly. I thought it was awesome. Uh, that was my favorite part of the movie, and I would definitely recommend that last, like, 10, 15 minutes just for the action part. One of my favorite movies, Eric knows this, but for everyone else, uh, Seven Psychopaths. Near the end of it, there's this big scene, and it's the perfect place for a final shootout. And they're having peyote together, and he explains, and a screenplay is helping his friend write, this is how it's going to go. And he describes all of the characters in kind of vague terms, and he thinks of himself as this big hero, and he just explains in like way over-the-top detail about how everything's going to go down, and it's the perfect place for a shootout. This is kind of like his dream becoming reality where there's no reason that Rose should have been as successful as she was. There's no reason <laughs> that all of these outlaws, and we had it, we were primed previously that all the outlaws that are left are the best of the best. The worst ones went early, the best ones went early, so it's like, or I'm sorry, but uh, the middle ones went, it's just like the ones who were really, really good that are left. So why did they shoot the house right away is kind of interesting. Why did they pop? And this was my favorite part of it was every all of them popping up one at a time from the field just to shoot and pop back down again. And I'm like, 
how is there not friendly fire happening? Oh, it's just like fantastical. That's Fortnite why. rules. Fortnite um, rules. No fl- friendly fire. It was some Fortnite rules, <laughs> but even then, you they would have just rocketed that house down real quick. But it was just fantastical and crazy, and it made me think of Seven Psychopaths and the way that that movie probably should have ended. Um, it was just over the top, and that's how I felt. Personally, about it. I would since they have Kamehamehas in Fortnite now, I'd probably just Kamehameha the house. Down Stop talking about Fortnite. Yeah. No to our thirteen-year-old. Alright, Cole. Four listeners. Yeah, that's a good segue, Cole. Tell us how you really feel. So. Yeah. This is for a child uh, audience. Blaze, I love you, but you are so wrong. This final uh, scene, final gunfight I wrote was bad, bad, bad. I hate everything. Why is this oh, stupid? Damn. <laughs> I, I did not, be I did not like no, it. Bad, bad, I didn't bad. like it. it okay, right. again, it goes back to it feels like Wes Anderson is like, I'm going to make a Western shootout. And it's like, you got these guys. Why are they popping up and down in the into the middle of a wheat field? That's so stupid. They're all... They're all so shooting silly. like revolvers and lever actions. There's no reason for them to duck for cover and then come back up because they're not shooting the single action rifle <laughs> like or uh, the, you know the single shot rifle like the sniper guy was, which is a sharps by the way. I did look it up. I finally figured it out. But he was using a sharps rifle, so like none of them had any reason to do that. Also, Michael Fassbender gets shot right, and he's at the front of the house. He crawls to like the side or the back or the side of the house, right? And then that one guy who's a part of the bounty hunters or outlaws comes and stands next to him and is just like oh shit he's about to shoot him he gets shot who fucking shot him like <laughs> who cares? tell me who shot him he wasn't <laughs> by a window the native kid and the girl are still inside like there's no reason for him to get shot i hated this scene a bunch uh and then the only thing that i like i i thought more and more about this scene the only part that i started to like more was just all of like the weird shit that happened that were like sayings coming to life, right? Like the guy gets shot and they close the door and it pulls his pants down. He got caught with his pants down, right? <laughs> and then the kid comes in, he gets shot in the heart and it's he gets shot in the heart right when he, you know, sees the girl and she re- doesn't recognize him and it's like, a, you know, you feel like you just got shot in the heart. Well, he fucking actually did. And then he gets salt poured onto his wound. He actually gets fucking salt poured onto his wound. Like like when the native kiss, guy comes to kiss like him. kiss his girl. I, like, yeah. That, that stuff. I was like, okay, that's like, is this a comedy? Is it not a comedy? Is it a tragedy? I'm very confused. This fight is annoying and I did not care for it. it you can be all those things though. You it's, can be a yeah, tragedy. It's a and tragic a comedy. comedy. Like, that's yeah. what it is. But it's it a tragic didn't, comedy. You can have little jokes in there. I don't Cole, think it I'm did just going to say well one thing. I, I did not ah. care for this. I just. <laughs> I just want to say one sentence. I bet you are the funnest person to watch a James Bond movie with. Because... <laughs> thank you, Kevin. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. That segues me to this. There's so good Cole Westers. just gave you a this literal interpretation. <laughs> all right. So Mr. Literal over here just gave you all the reasons why he hated this scene and broke it down from a <laughs> gun battle tactics standpoint. I'm going to take a complete opposite approach, and I loved the crap out of this scene uh, in general. So it was the third and final act of this film. It absolutely fit the bill for me as someone who was watching this with the guise of it being a story in just the most fantastical, ridiculous, like Kelly said, over-the-top way possible. We get excellent cinematography in this particular moment where we get shots of the house with the field, our individual protagonists as they're fighting. Um, The angles in general was just was awesome. 
and you kind of all alluded to the little parts that made this scene stand out as far as bad guys coming out or the shots through the door. Also, our gentleman does have a name. His name is Katori, uh, so he's no longer the young Thank native. You. Uh, Katori is, and they say it a couple of different times in there, uh, mostly... Uh, I think his scene was was excellent where he he puts his hand in the blood, which just happens to be Jay's blood, which was kind of ironic in that circumstance, and then goes full battle mode, which was an awesome scene for me. I loved the lighting of the the forest on fire. I thought that whole scene was awesome. In general, from top to bottom, the way that they executed um, keeping the viewer involved in the different storylines while you knew that the meeting of Jay and Rose was going to be the focal point of this, they did not miss with that moment where Jay just walks in and you, you as an audience kind of have a collective gasp, essentially, when Rose shoots him and you're just like, holy shit. All of this for that and this, sure, it was heavy handed. It absolutely hit the viewer in the mouth like, oh, of course, a tragedy in the greatest sense of the word where our main protagonist is getting towards his goal and all of a sudden is thwarted at the last moment in the most ridiculous way possible. And then as Cole said, with the salt in the wound, yes, it was very heavy-handed, but I felt that it was perfect. It felt, it, it would, just felt the scene was good. So I enjoyed the ending, and it worked for me. Jay ends up getting shot by Rose, our main character. This is a very bold choice for a movie to take, you know. Uh, and she didn't know it was Jay, but then salt falls on his gunshot wounds when the shooting is done, and Rose notices uh, that it's Jay at, when the shooting is done. She says, silly boy, and kisses him on the cheek before he dies. And then we see that uh, Silas kind of ends up with a happy life with Rose and two kids. That might have been a dream sequence. We, we're not really, we don't really know for sure. My question is, though, we, we kind of have, like, what a normal plot would be. It starts out with that. We have a character with an unrequited love looking for his lost love. And it all just gets flipped on its head in the very last scene. Rose is like this awesome person who just shoots a bunch of people. The main character dies, and yeah, we have that. Um, but either way, was this film a big fuck you to incels? Kelly? <laughs> no. <laughs> as funny as that is, no, it's not. Because Jay is your classic incel. He, he thinks that he deserves something that he really doesn't. Uh, he wanders a- across the entire country, kind of like a creepy guy, and then he ends up getting shot, he gets salt poured on his wounds, and he dies. Now, I think it, that his whole issue is that he's rich and naive, so that's his problem, and I have little to no sympathy for unrequited love being a, a motivation for anything, so I think it's obvious I don't like Jay, but I won't call him an incel. He doesn't hate all women or think that he's better off without them or want to do harm to them, okay. so... It's not an F you to incels. It's just, it's just Jay being Jay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's an incel. I I think he's, like Kelly said, young, naive, stupid. Um, I think he thinks that he deserves more than what he got, I guess, out of uh, Rose. And he thinks that, you know, his grand gesture, he reads way too many stories, and he needs to come to the real world. And it honestly, him getting shot in the heart, I thought was a great turn to this movie and was like a great, like, you know, kind of like, fuck you. Yeah, he's not going to end up with her. She didn't love him. He's a crazy, dumb kid that just showed up in the middle of a, you know, a shootout. So I thought that was a great, and I did like the that scene, especially when he burst in 
if you're in a shootout and someone bursts in, you're probably going to shoot the person that bursts in. So that was pretty good. Although, you know, you're talking about how great, you know, of a shot Rose is and stuff. She shoots him in the heart, immediately turns around, closes her eyes and just shoots the gun, you know, five times outside the window. She's not that great, all right? All of a sudden, she turns into, like, the Terminator at the end with the Henry repeated rifle. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he's in, so I think he's just dumb. Like, okay. Like this that was a Let's forget the insult so part, I guess. It was more of a joke. But, uh, <laughs> Blaze. That's well, your question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Question. Come on. <laughs> I'm not taking it back. It's just a joke, though. Anyway, uh, Blaze, what did you think, like, about how this film sort of did turn the Western on its head, in a way, with the ending? You know, it it definitely, oh. like, with these kind of films, you it, the ma- the main character usually ends up with the loved one and this one it first did of it. all i want you to i want I, you said that they had two kids i think those were the two kids whose parents they shot oh sorry the they two, didn't have yeah, two kids. Yeah. yeah they adopted the them. Uh, so the just you know that was just so a pre-inflow to the yeah. incel question so i was like no <laughs> but no yeah. i that was my favorite part of the movie i thought that was so crazy that they went that far to where like she shoots him in the heart and then like she doesn't even recognize him for the first like 20 minutes after she shoots him. It wasn't until like the very end of the fight where she even realizes that she shot her old friend. And I was like, there's no way he's going to die. There's no way he's going to die. And then he dies, not as a coward, but he dies, you know, protecting the one that he loves. And yeah, I really felt like, you know, in any other, uh, Western film, that would have been the, uh, part where she goes oh wait i do love you and then you know they jump on a horse and fire off and you know he like finds the might of a thousand men but no it ended very uh abruptly subversively and very poorly for jay but i do think it was a very cool different ending especially for the western genre so we danced around this subject a little bit here but this is movies an excellent blend of genres for me right we talked about the tragic comedy so taking some some dark comedy notes, mixing it with more serious theme. We've obviously talked about the classic Western. Uh, I do think that this is a very unique take on on the Western and the modernization of it. I do love, um, in general, kind of the way they approached it because it makes this movie kind of stand out as a unique approach to the genre in general, which makes it stand out for me um, in the movie world in general. Now, obviously, I was unfamiliar with this before this podcast, but on this go through uh, i, I want to go back and watch more westerns right i want to learn more about the genre and why it continues to kind of be that genre that is constantly revisited throughout all of film history right we have old school westerns you know newer westerns and then even more modern westerns like it's just a genre that continues to doesn't seem to age there's a uh, mysteriousness to that uh, time in history and i just think it was well done in general i'll uh I'll send you some uh, some good westerns because uh, yeah, please yeah, do this one. Yeah, true true grit's really my my exposure. <laughs> well, and there's neo westerns like The Rover, you know. And, yes, good uh, point. Yeah, I mean Mad Max. You Mad can Max even, Fury it's like Road, a dystopian sci-fi uh, western. No Country you know? for Old Men is like a western s too. I mean, there's like yeah. a lot of modern ones, but uh, yeah, a lot of the most famous directors that we've you know known in our lives have made an attempt at a western, and for good reason. Like it's part of cinema history. Yeah, Seven Samurai. And finally, uh, this film ends with Silas turning a horseshoe from down to up, nailing it to the wall, and then Silas is, just says, Ho for the West. Uh, Kelly, what does that mean, and did you really take anything grander away from this film? 
That was just the name of the book that Jay was carrying around. Mm. And I think that they really wanted to bury it home over and over again that that book is more of an influence than you might think on your first watch. But they show it in his pocket. They mention it at the end. They show it in the river getting washed away. What does it mean? What could it mean? Let's hit you over the head with this book. Kevin yeah, wants I just to say think something. That we alluded to it earlier. I think he's sitting in Scotland just reading this book over and over and over again, and it gives him this idea that he can actually do what he does. So without the book, I don't think we have yeah. a vehicle for a movie whatsoever, and I think the director wants us to, like you said, hammer over the head that this is very relevant, but mostly because Jay has read that book back to cover. He knows everything in it, and it's truly his influence on why he thinks he can handle himself in the Wild West by himself as a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, and it's why everything's ridiculous and why the dialogue... I was going to save this for the end, but it's perfect. It's why the dialogue sounds like when my nephew is playing with his Legos. Jeez, there you go. That's, harsh. That's the way they hey, talk Legos to each other. Right. Uh, Blaze, did you take anything grander away from this film? As a bigger overall message, not, not too much. I think it's more of a story contained within the lives of the people that um lived it in this film i do think the the horseshoe does represent you know good luck hope for the west you know the pack the part that uh horseshoe is almost like cylindrical so like you definitely go through that loop and michael fassbender is on that other side of being a loner nobody just you know doing stuff for the money and survival as they keep saying in the film and now he's made that arc into into being a more well-rounded person um, who cares more about other people than himself. But as far as a big, grander message like Ex Machina last week, I mean, that's so far off. It's just more of a story, like everyone's been saying, instead of like a big overarching theme. <laughs> I don't think this film had a whole lot of uh, anything going on with it. I'm sure you guys have picked up by now. I wasn't the biggest fan of this movie. I felt like... Yeah, I mean, it was it was short, and us- honestly, usually like those 90-minute movies, I'm like, this thing's probably going to be pretty good, because it's tight, clean. This movie was not. I honestly think if it was longer and more fleshed out, it would have been better, but there was like a lot of the weird stuff going on that I didn't particularly care for. Maybe I wasn't in the right mindset for it, but I didn't take anything out of this bad boy. All right, so let's get to ratings here. Uh, I think I'm going to go down to up. Uh, and I'm going to start with Kelly over here. I don't know if I'll be worse than Cole. Uh, we'll see. Okay. Challenge um, accepted. <laughs> here's my notes. Uh, Cole mentioned many times uh, before I could, uh, big Wes Anderson energy coming through here. And I know that Wes Anderson is a bit of a polarizing kind of theme uh, for all of his taste. I am someone who really does not like it, and it came through very heavy for me in this movie. Here's reasons I don't like Wes Anderson films. I find them alienating, and they make me uncomfortable in that regard. I find them repetitive. I see these shots that are symmetrical, that are supposed to be artistic, but are just continuing on that repetitive theme. And they're like trying to be charming, but in a way that doesn't get pulled off. So it just feels kind of threatening and adds to that just like discontent, upset stomach feeling. So that movie, or this movie that we watched very much had that Wes Anderson vibe. Uh, The soundtrack we didn't touch on, absolutely irritated the heck out of me it was grinding straight into my brain it did not fit for me the theme of this movie at all 
And it was, like I just mentioned with Wes Anderson films, very repetitive, the same thing. Sometimes it was circus music. Sometimes it was like Italian guitar. Sometimes, like, it was just, it did not fit for me. And it would be, it would come over so loud. They would talk under it. So it was almost like the sound mixing didn't work well for me in those spots either. I also said it was, it's absurd but in a way where it doesn't fully lean in all the time. It kind of goes in and out as it pleases, so it's not really strong in either regard. I just mentioned the dialogue for me was always pretty, like, just, like, not deep enough. Like, there wasn't enough there. It was just quick. It, there, there were those one-liners, and sometimes they were funny, but it wasn't anything funnier than, like, Life After Beth for me. That's about the amount of funny that I found this movie. So overall, though... I was also very bored from beginning to end. Cole just mentioned maybe I wasn't in the right mindset, or he wasn't, but I feel that same way. Maybe I wasn't either, but I was just bored and I just wanted it to be done. I didn't enjoy this movie at all, and I would never recommend it to anyone because if I knew, if they knew that I watched it, what would they think of me? <laughs> so that said, I'm going <laughs> with an E24. Okay, Cole. Yeah. So. Um... I am so happy that Kelly and I are on the same page with Wes Anderson. I do not care for his movies at all. I've wow. I've tried. I've watched. I've watched pretty much all of his movies, from like Isle of Dog to like Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, even like I just don't. Isle of Dog is the only one that I actually was like, this is actually you know a decent movie. And it turns out it doesn't have people in it. It's all puppets and stuff, but. Beside the point, Wes Anderson sucks. This movie was like a cheap knockoff of it. Drove me crazy through the whole film. The comedy was just not there. I didn't like care that like I, I felt like they failed on the comedy. They failed on the western. They failed to make me feel things. And the only part was at the end where they were just like, "What if we just like made a shootout and made a bunch of puns, but made them real?" <laughs> And I was just like, "Fuck this! I don't, I don't care for it." I, I, I don't, again, maybe I, you know, you know, maybe you need to be high and having a good time, and maybe you like this movie. I w- wasn't in the right mindset. I feel personally attacked right now. <laughs> but uh, as a person who genuinely loves westerns and loves the time period and loves, you know, the Red Deads and all the movies and stuff like that, if you want to talk about a good over-the-top western. This is not it. Watch Django Unchained. That has like comedy beats. That has over-the-top shootouts and stuff. That is done right. This is not. I didn't care for it. However, I struggled to give things an E24, so Kelly is going to be the lowest. I'm giving this a <laughs> D-24. minus um, Overall, didn't care for it. I thought it was boring throughout 90% of it. The shootout was bad. And it was only an hour and 15 minutes, and I felt like it was forever. So... That's it. Yeah. I'm over. Bye. Please? <clears throat> yeah. So uh, there's a lot that I have to agree with uh, Cole and Kelly on this. Um, I, I think the biggest issue is, like Cole said, it needed to be flushed out more. Uh, they explored a lot of things and then abruptly just uh, threw them to the side. Um, when they were at the uh, general store and they shot these two uh, immigrants uh, who were trying to rob the store, and then they ransack the store, and they see the two kids, and they just kind of leave it. I mean, the kids come back, but, like, that's so unbelievable in its own right. You know, there was a very cool dynamic between Silas and Jay, you know, between, you know, 
rich upper stuff, you know, kid who's really never been out in the world versus hardened criminal, uh, you know, guy who walks the line, you know, who's been around the block. And they didn't really like went into that either. Starting with the absence scene from the bonfire, when he stumbles on the bonfire to the shootout, to the ending, I thought it was balls to the walls. Wonderful. I thought that's 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the film was amazing. And I did think that the set was cool. I thought I really liked the uh, New Zealand, the mountains. I like the forest. I like, you know, the plains. I liked a lot of the, uh, you know, smaller, nuancey stuff. When you get to the bottom of it, it's just like like Cole said, they, they didn't touch on enough things to make me want to care about any character. So it really left me wanting at the end, which kind of sucks. So I do like the effort. I do think the characters did a really good job with what they had. But at the end of the day, it's not a great movie. It's not a Western like Cole said I would, or Kelly said I would recommend to any of my friends. Uh, because my friends hold me in higher esteem, I would hope. But I am going to give it a little bit better. I am going to say D plus 24. There are some saving nuggets that I did like about it. But overarching, eh, not for me. So D plus. All right, so I have a lot of different feelings about this going right now, mostly that we're so different on our opinions on this film. And I only can equate that to me not being the ridiculous film enthusiast that the four of you are, right? And, I, and, and maybe that's, that's wrong in that sense, but I enjoy what little exposure I have of Wes Anderson, so I guess that may be, for me, why I enjoyed this film more than the others. I've said at almost at nauseum that I treated this film as if I was watching a live storytelling, like a storybook or a legend of some sort. And I think that skewed the way that I looked at it from a review standpoint in general. I did enjoy the storyline and the characters. And as you know by now by listening to this episode, I've said a lot of great things about it in general and have had not a ton of critical things to say. That being said, it's still... I don't want to come across as this is my favorite movie of all time. A lot of the criticisms that you guys have been saying are absolutely true. Um, so I do want to say, though, that from my perspective, it was unique in viewing it from the first time. And as someone who doesn't enjoy movies or doesn't watch a lot of movies in general, picking this one up and trying to digest it has been fun for me after the fact, more so than when I was watching it live, which is also a unique thing when you kind of start digesting some reviews and start looking at some of the things that you maybe didn't notice on your first watch through, it maybe skews the way that you look at a movie. Uh, but for me, and that's definitely true for this particular film, I think at the end, I enjoyed um, the artistic approach by our director. I thought it was interesting that he was a former musician with the beta band, um, and he had a lot of uh, influence in the punk rock scene kind of coming into this. So anytime you take someone who's classically trained in music and move them into film, I think that you take a more artsy approach to whatever you're doing. And it's very clear with this film that that was the approach that our director took. The influences from other directors we've mentioned are very clear. In general, I thought the setting was great. The scenery was good. The dialogue was a little bit lacking, but I enjoyed the story from start to finish. It had all of the parts of a great story for me. Um, so for that, even though it's such a departure from the rest of your grades, I do have to give this film a B24. Because uh, me personally enjoyed it and would recommend it for someone who likes the artsier side of things and are not looking from a realistic portrayal 
Um, and I agree that it's not a true Western, so that also makes it a little bit more difficult. But that's my rating, B24. I enjoyed it, even though you all seemed not to as much. But that's fine. That's why we do these things, so we can have uh, conversations about the, the It's nice to meet films. you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> no, actually, uh, Kevin, I was going to say, don't <laughs> let the others them. drag you down. Because, uh, honestly, I really enjoyed this film. You, you guys kept saying Wes Anderson, and I kind of want to say Wes Anderson wasn't the first person to do symmetrical shots of landscapes. So... I, I was talking about people. The people kept on saying Wes that. Anderson. I'm like, this is not Wes Anderson. I disagree completely. This isn't Wes hey. Anderson. Either way. So a symmetrical shot is only Wes Anderson? I'm One, talking about like the Wes weird. Well, you guys are saying like argued? you're getting Wes Anderson vibes yeah, from the because cinematography. Like, no, I, I, I don't agree with cinematography. that. I said all the weird goofiness and bullshit that gets thrown in the mix that makes I, no sense. I don't think... Palette, I think Wes Anderson's dialogue is much worse. I I think uh, he's not a great screenwriter, and uh, the people that write screenplays for him aren't great. I actually think this screenplay was actually pretty phenomenal, uh, and I love all the one-liners. I love a lot of the ambiguous uh, lines that they say. You know, I, I love um, like kill the right house. before, yeah, like right before Rose, uh, you know, shoots out and Katora or Katori. Uh, launches that uh, arrow into the field, she says, until civilization arrives. I, I love all these little one-liners in here. I do agree that, that uh, this film was a little too short. It was only an hour, 23 minutes. Uh, they could have explored Payne, uh, his character, a lot more, and they could have created a much greater villain. I completely agree with that. But everything else in here, from the costume design to the cinematography to the screenwriting to the acting, I thought was pretty superb, actually. And I I kind of disagree with you guys on a lot of the points. And I, I think this was actually pretty original, too. Uh, I think it turns a Western on its head. And it, I think it is a Western. I just think that it, it... I think the ending definitely turns the classic Western tale on its head. So I'm actually going to give this a B24. I'm going to be right there with Kevin. I'm not going to, you know, shit all over this film. I, I think that this film was universally loved for a reason. And I'm... I'm not saying this just because I know that it got, you know, good critical ratings. I, as a screenwriter, like somebody who's written a screenplay, I really appreciated this film for every little line that was in here. It so. made $67,000. Well, that's an indie film. Sometimes, so? uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. sometimes great films don't make anything. a lot of money. A $2 million Eric, indie film made You said it best. The little don't ever lines. look at how much Citizen Kane made. That's right. Love is universal <laughs> like death. I think yeah. that's just really what we need to talk about this film. Like, that's just a big deal. But yeah. Anyway. And, man, I mean, Michael Fassbender, well, I, I I love him. Uh, he He's awesome. I, I know that he kind of played this old uh, John Wayne-type character, but I, I think that he did it in a different kind of way, you know? Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Well, I, uh, I, I respect your opinions, Eric, but uh, you're fucking wrong. This movie sucks. Yeah. And Eric, <laughs> your screenplays are much better than theirs. So. Oh, look at All right. That. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that compliment. <laughs> also, All right, well, I never you, said uh, it was Wes Anderson. I never said that. You were grouping me with them. I did not say yeah. I also never said the cinematography was Wes Anderson. I said, like, the fucking weird shit that happens in this movie. If you haven't done so yet... Please rate and subscribe our podcast, and please join in on the fun. Good night, everyone.
A24